hello, Christ Chapel, and happy weekend to you. Would you go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you'll also need a copy of your sermon notes. I definitely want uh, there to be some things that are super clear in today's message, so you'll need uh, both of those things. And I know I've told you for the past few times that I've preached, if you need a Bible, Jen and I will buy you a Bible we haven't had anybody take us up on that yet. So everybody has a Bible that they can open to, 1 Corinthians chapter three, even if it's one of those blue Bibles underneath your seat. Hello to those of you at the South Campus. It was fun being with you last weekend. If you're at the West Campus, planning on being with you this coming weekend. And uh, so, so glad that you're here. If you're on the Internet Campus, hope uh, you're enjoying being a part of the Christ Chapel uh, family, I had somebody, we're gonna continue in our series uh, through Undivided, through 1 Corinthians. It was funny, I had somebody ask me, they were like, are there problems in the church? And that's why we're doing this Undivided series. And I wanna say, no problems that the Corinthians weren't experiencing. I mean, it's the, it's the same things. Uh, you know, let me, let me say it this way. There, there's nothing that is blowing up behind the scenes. There's no underbelly and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, is the, the elder board, are there factions there? No, the elder board has been more unified than I've ever seen it where, where it's awesome. But folks, we are a group and body of believers who are still sinners being sanctified. <laughs> And so we have the same problems that, guess what, these sinners who were being sanctified had in those days. And we cannot be unaware of the devil's schemes. The devil wanted in the church in Corinth to divide and conquer. Guess what he wants to do today? Divide and conquer. And so we need to be aware of that. And we need to understand who God has called us to be as a body of believers that represent Him, not forgetting one of the most important things that Jesus told His disciples at probably maybe the most intimate moment that He had with Him when He was washing their feet. And He said, By the way that you love one another, the world will know that you are mine. If we wanna be salt and light in the world, if we want to show that there's some sort of difference because of the change that Jesus has made inside of us, one of the ways and one of the most powerful ways that we are gonna provide that testimony to an unbelieving world is by the way we treat one another. The way that we are kind, that we are gracious, that we are humble, that we are servant-hearted, that we are unified and undivided because of our faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, our friend. So that's why we're doing this series. The things that are going on in 1 Corinthians, sure, there are things that go on like that today, but we need to remember the message of 1 Corinthians at its heart and stand on Jesus and let him be the head of our church and the head alone. And so I told you if you read the pastor's desk, which I know no one does, uh, that I struggled with how to write that pastor's desk. I had about four different versions of the pastor's desk uh, this week, and I, I know that's kind of overkill, but I just I, I struggled with not the content of the message today, but I struggled with more of the tone 
of, of the message. I, I, I always want to be encouraging. I, I honestly, I want us to laugh because there's oftentimes things in this world that don't allow us to laugh. And, and one of my favorite things that has ever been said about Christ Chapel, I know this is super unspiritual, but a mom told me one day that her kid, he's probably driving now, but her kid uh, told her, uh, if somebody doesn't like to laugh, they shouldn't come to Christ Chapel. And I, I love that because this, I mean, if we have the joy of the Lord, it shouldn't be deep down in our hearts where nobody can find it, you know? Like we, we should love the Lord with, with joy. That's a fruit of, of the spirit. And so we need to enjoy being together. But uh, today, uh, the passage that we're gonna cover in 1 Corinthians chapter three is no laughing matter. It's a, it's a very serious and sobering passage that I, I found that sometimes many Christians have never even heard of. They, they've, they've never heard of it, they've never considered it, thought about it, and applied it to their life. And so uh, for some of you, this is gonna be mind-blowing. This is gonna create an entire category that you've never even known existed. It might make some of you scared. It might make some of you angry and even argumentative. Um, but. I think to be faithful to God's word, which is what we stand on as a church, to be faithful to his word, we've gotta preach his word. And we've gotta preach it as it is. And so that's what I'm gonna to do today. So I need you to buckle up, I need you to tune in, and I need you to have an open mind and an open heart to God's spirit for what he's going to tell you today. Because we're gonna continue our series in, through 1 Corinthians, and this is gonna, we're going right in order. And if you'll remember, we've, we've covered a lot of the divisions. Remember, that's one of the reasons why Paul is writing this book to the church in Corinth is they were divided. Some said, I mean, you even said it in verse, uh, chapter one, and then he says it again in chapter three. Some of you say, I follow Paul. Some of you say, I follow Apollo. Some of you say, I follow Cephas. Some of you say, I follow Christ. They're split into these different factions. And some of the factions were not only created by different personalities, but they were created by the places and positions that they took on particular issues that were going on and being discussed inside the church. And he's writing this book so that they would be undivided, but really at the root of their division, we found out in the first couple of chapters, at the root is really their lack of spirituality, period, or their spiritual immaturity, which goes to say, and this is just an aside, a spiritual principle, the more spiritually mature we are, the more of an effort we make to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, as he calls it in Ephesians. Maturity is marked by peace, not just keeping peace, but making peace with other brothers and sisters. And so that's what he's encouraging them to do. But one of the questions that many of you might be asking at this point in the series as we've been going through this is, why? Why be undivided? Why be unified with other believers? Why not just stand and be stubborn and say, but I follow Paul or I follow Apollos? Well, forget the fact that Jesus' heart is grieved when we're divided. Forget the fact that that quenches the Holy Spirit's work inside the church. Forget the fact that that devalues the gospel 
The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, which that's what he gave his life for, was to unify us as a body of believers to make his name famous. Not our own, but to make his name famous. Forget, forget all of those facts. One of the implications, what's at stake in you maintaining unity are your eternal rewards. You see, there's a point in time which the fruit of a believer's life is going to be collected, tested, and exposed. There's going to be a time where the fruit of a believer's life is going to be collected, tested, and exposed. And that's what Paul is going to hit on as we look at chapter 3. And we're going to finish out chapter 3, and then I'm actually going to cover chapter 4 as well. We're going to cover a huge chunk today. But at this point, I think the, he anticipates that the Corinthians would be asking, what's at stake? If I remain stubborn, what difference does it make? And he's going to tell them, here's what's at stake. If you want to remain immature, if you want to remain living for the desires of the flesh and just the, the creature comforts of this world, if you want to remain in your own factions and camps, you need to understand that all of those things, all of that fruit will one day be collected. It'll be tested and it will be exposed and not necessarily in a good way. And that's what he hits on as we continue here in chapter three. And if you'll look at it, beginning in verse 10. Chapter three, verse 10. Paul says, according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Now this hints at, remember, he began the church in Corinth, but remember, he's on a missionary journey right now. And so now he's left people, leaders, to continue to build the church. That's what he's talking about. And this is gonna be the admonition for us the rest of our time today. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw, it doesn't matter, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the first will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward." If anyone's work is burned up, then he or she will suffer loss, though they themselves will be saved, but only as through fire. If there was ever a fire and brimstone message, it's this one. Um, one of the things, I, I, I want to go into detail about this because as I said, it's gonna create a category for many of you. But one of the first things that you need to understand is there is no other foundation than Jesus Christ. He is the only firm foundation. He is the only valid foundation. 
Uh, Everything else that anyone else builds their life upon, if it's other than Jesus, is shifting or sinking sand, as the old hymn says. Jesus is the only firm foundation. And that's what he's talking about here. You can say, I, you, you can build your life on somebody else's opinions, somebody else's theories, and it's all going to fall apart. Jesus is the only foundation, and that's who he's talking to. And in fact, that's maybe one of the scariest parts of this passage is he's talking to believers. He's talking to people who say, Jesus is my foundation. Jesus is my salvation. And he says, okay then, be careful what kind of life you build after Jesus is your foundation for your salvation. You've got to be careful because the second thing that he goes into is that every believer's foundation or everything they build on that foundation of Jesus is gonna be exposed. And it's going to be exposed at a place that we call uh, from, from scripture, the Bema Seat of Christ. Again, I told you there's a lot to explain here. Some of you have never heard the term bima before. Bima is a Greek word that just means a raised platform. That's all it means. There's nothing super mystical about it. A raised platform, which were actually very common in the Greco-Roman world. In fact, if you went to modern day where Corinth was and has been excavated, they actually have the Bema seat in Corinth. Today, you can go and see it. Uh, I have not been there, but I've seen plenty of pictures of it. And the Bema seat is again, this raised platform. And what this raised platform was used for, it was used in civil affairs, whether it was a, a judge or a magistrate who was giving out some sort of legal uh, determination, but it was also used for athletics. And that's why it, you can see it was kind of, if you go back to the, the aerial view there, uh, it, you can see there's so much, it, it's almost in the, the city center. There's so much because it was used for, for different things. And, and you, it was even used for athletics. I don't know if that was a track there, but we, we definitely know that that was uh, prevalent in the Greco-Roman world where people would run a race or they would wrestle or throw something far and they would get an award. And where that would come from is the Bema seat. The person who was judging that or handing out those rewards would sit there on this elevated platform above the crowds And that elevated one there in Corinth, you you can see it. This one was built in about 44 BC. It was made of marble. So it was very uh, pristine. It was a a beautiful place. It was a place made for a ruler. And that's what this Bema seat is. In fact, that very seat we learn about in Acts chapter 18. I'd mentioned this in the intro sermon, but in Acts chapter 18, remember when Paul was going to Corinth to establish the church and he and Sosthenes were brought before what is called the tribunal. It's at the Bema seat. The Bema seat is the tribunal. They were brought before that very seat Because remember, the Jewish leaders said, hey, this guy is teaching something other than uh, what we've taught, and so you need to prosecute him. And they said no, and they end up carrying off Sosthenes and beating him in front of the tribunal, in front of that Bema seat, in front of that elevated platform. So that is what Paul has in mind when he's talking to them about, hey, 
Be careful how you build on the foundation because one day you're going to meet before the Lord. In fact, he brings this whole subject back up in his second letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 10, it'll come up on the screen. It says, so whether we are at home or away, meaning from Christ, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, or the bema seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is what he has in mind, is this time when a believer approaches the bema seat, an elevated platform on which Jesus, the ruler and judge of all, sits and evaluates the life that we have built upon the new life that he has given us in his son. Some of you have never heard this before. And so I want to slow down because I want to be very clear on what Paul is saying here because there, there's a lot at stake of you understanding this. And so I'm gonna very methodically walk through this theological concept and biblical concept of the Bema Seat. And all of this is on your sermon notes. So first, you need to understand, every Christian will appear before Christ at the Bema Seat. Let me emphasize, every Christian, every one of us will appear before Christ at the Bema Seat. And now you say, now when is that? Well, we don't know exactly when it is, but from what we can ascertain from other scriptures, it seems like it happens after the rapture, but before the return of Christ. And we, I've got a timeline. We've actually uh, done a series on these different uh, eschatological events before. Um, but the Bema seat seems to happen sometime in between there, sometime maybe during the, the tribulation. And remember, the church is raptured before the tribulation. The church does not go through the tribulation. But they, we return with, with Christ to rule and to reign in the millennial kingdom with him. And so it happens sometimes there. Now, while this is up, let me, be, let me also say something. There are two judgments talked about in Scripture. The first is the Bema Seat, which is what we're talking about, which is for believers, where the things that we have done are evaluated. The second judgment is the Great White Throne Judgment. That is not for believers. The Great White Throne Judgment is to judge unbelief, and that is where unbelievers are essentially cast out of God's presence into hell for eternity. Is there some urgency in why we need to preach the gospel, pray for our friends? Okay, so there are two judgments talked about. We are talking about two different things here. The Bema seat evaluates Christians' lives. The great white throne judges unbelief for unbelievers. You will not be judged at the great white throne judgment if you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ. But your life, what you've done with the new life that he's given you in Christ, will be evaluated at the Bema Seat. You see, every Christian's life will be evaluated for what is precious, lasting, and eternal. Every Christian's life will be evaluated for what is precious, lasting, and eternal. As I said, 
you will not be condemned for your sin at the great white throne judgment. You, there, Romans 8.1, there is there for no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You will not be, if you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ, he has paid for your sin once and for all, paid in full. Praise God that will never be held against you. Praise God. But at the Bema seat, he's going to evaluate what you've done with the life he's given you. And he talks about these different materials, these different building materials, using that analogy, that are used, that people use to build up their lives here on earth. And there's really kind of two categories that he talks about. And uh, Cody, I've put them in flammable and non-flammable. Okay? Flammable, wood, hay, and stubble, or straw. Stubble is the old way we used to say it. But the the non-flammable are gold, Silver, precious stones. And I I know you're like, man, so I'm supposed to collect gold right now? No, that's not the point. What his point is, is building with those things that are precious to God's heart. And we get an idea of what is precious to God's heart from Matthew chapter six. If you remember Matthew chapter six, verses 19 to 21, just write it down. You can go back and look at it later. Jesus says, hey, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven not treasures on earth. Don't, don't store up treasures where uh, moth can, can destroy it and, and dust gets on it, where thieves can break in and steal. Store up treasures in heaven. The, the, those are the things that are precious. Those are the things that are eternal. Those are the things that will last. That we get an idea about it like that. So, hey, if, if moths, rust, dust can get on it here, it probably won't last until there. Just, just a good principle thing to use. Now, I'm not condemning, you know, wearing clothes or anything like that or having a vehicle. I'm, I'm not saying that. Those things are, are very practical and I understand that. But if all of your life is placed and you place all your value of your life on those things, you will be sorely disappointed because that's gonna be collected in front of Jesus at the Bema seat, and he's gonna light a match. Actually, it's probably not gonna be a match. You wanna you want know what it's probably gonna be? It's probably gonna be his eyes. If you think about, think about how Jesus is described in Revelation chapter one and in Revelation chapter 19. How is he described? He is described as one who has fire in his eyes, who has this this piercing gaze, who looks at everything you've done. You wanna talk about feeling exposed. I mean, I'm getting chills right now just imagining being there because I know that there are things in my life that are gonna burn. I, I know it. I'm not proud of it. I'm not saying that that's the way it should always be and I, I, I shouldn't make changes in my life. But that's a reality. That is something that is going to come and you have to be aware of that. You see, every Christian will be saved, but only some will be rewarded. 
Every Christian will be saved from hell for eternity because of the blood of Jesus Christ if they've placed their trust in him. Paul is not, nor am I, purporting a works-based salvation. That is not what I'm talking about. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. It is a gift of God. You could never earn it. All you can do is accept it based on Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on your behalf. So when you place your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, paid for in full, done forever, you will be saved for eternity. But only some Christians who are saved will be rewarded. All will be saved. Some will be rewarded. That's what he taught. Look back at verse 15. He said, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. I remember I I preached on this uh, once before, and I remember uh, calling those Christians crispy Christians. And as I prepared, I, I saw that term again, and I nervously laughed Um, because I don't want that to be any of us. I I don't want any of us to be disappointed. You know, this is a new category for believers because I think so often as Christians, especially in the Bible Belt, we look at the Christian life as binary, one zero, saved, not saved. I'm going to heaven or I'm going to hell, and that's it. Brother, sister, your life matters, every bit of it, and will matter for eternity. I love that you walked the aisle when you were six. I love it, but that's not... uh, that point of salvation is not the beginning and the end of your Christian life. That was the beginning. Everything you do after matters. And so often we go, oh, I'm saved. I got the ticket, man. I've already reserved my spot. Like, there's nothing else to do but just wait. You are so misinformed, my friend. Because all of those things will be collected and tested and exposed. And guess what? I think at this moment, I don't think this moment in heaven is devoid of emotion. I think there will be tears in heaven. And I think they're going to happen right here. Where people go, what? I thought I was, I thought I was doing the right thing. I, I thought I was just supposed to wait. I mean, I, I, I went to church. Awesome. Love it. But see, there's something more at stake, and that's what Paul is bringing up here. After all of these divisions, after all of the stubbornness, after all of the things that they say, no, I, I'm gonna do it this way. I'm gonna do it my way because this is my preference. All of those things. He goes, great. All of those things. You wanna, you wanna live that way? You wanna be immature? You wanna live for the flesh? Just know that Jesus is gonna see right through that one day and it's all gonna get burned up and you're gonna be sorely 
disappointed, saved, but at least for a moment there, I think dismayed. See, every Christian will be saved, but not every Christian will be rewarded. They will be saved only as some through the flames. Uh, an analogy that I know I've used before, but this was helpful for me, is graduation. Um, if you've been to a graduation lately, I think this year they were kind of normal, um, but you know, your name is called out. They, they literally call out your name from a binder or a book that they have, and that person walks across the stage. Every person whose name is in the book walks across the stage. Just like in scripture, every person whose name is written in the book of life who placed their trust in Jesus Christ will graduate to heaven. You'll all make it to the other side. But only some graduates graduate with honors. I was never one of those. But only some, it's like, man, they excelled there. I'm only trying to exhort you not to make much of yourself, but to make much of Jesus because it's gonna matter for eternity. He says there are going to be rewards. Now, we don't know what those rewards are gonna be. I think, I think I know this about these rewards. And this is Cody's opinion. I think they're gonna not be material. I think they're gonna be immaterial in some sort of fashion. But I am positive that they're gonna be worth living for. I'm positive they're gonna be worth living for. We, we think that from what we can understand in scripture that they're gonna be used for worship because you see the 24 elders that are sitting around the throne in Revelation casting their crowns at Jesus' feet as worship. That enhances their relationship with Jesus. They can worship him more for what he has done for them, giving them new life. So it enhances our worship, and it's probably gonna be used in service somehow in the kingdom because Jesus even teaches us, it's in the parable of the talents, but he teaches us in other places that whom much is given, much is required, but then the ones who use the things that he gives them, he gives them even more. And so these things are gonna be worth living for. So I want to encourage us all to build a life that will withstand the fire and be rewarded. That, that's the admonition. And Paul in chapter four, I'm gonna go through chapter four very quickly. Paul in chapter four, what he is doing is he's essentially uh, validating his apostleship because they, they weren't giving him the credence or the credibility that he deserved as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he's trying to capstone that, basically summarizing everything he's done in the first few chapters, because beginning in chapter five, he's going to address very specific things. And so if he doesn't have the cre their credibility and understanding of, hey, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus here, then he's not gonna, they're not gonna listen to his specific address on specific things that are going on inside the church. So he's summarizing the validity of his apostleship in chapter four, but I wanna take that and apply that to you because he has built a life that will last and I want us to do the same thing. So I'm gonna go through just a few principles through chapter four very quickly that will encourage you to with, build a life that will stand the fire and be rewarded. And the first is this, faithfully steward what God has given you to build his kingdom. 
faithfully steward what God has given you to build his kingdom. Uh, Dr. Bailey did a good job last week of talking about how, uh, uh, about the idea of a steward and that word that's in there. It, it is, a, it's a servant. Nothing that we have is our own. It's all his. And that's what stewarding means. It, it, you don't own it. You just use it. And what a great uh, uh, way to think about these things because you can't take anything with you. It's just you're stewarding it here. It's not yours here and it won't be yours there. So you steward it to store up their four treasures in heaven. In, in four verse one, chapter four verse one, he says, this is how one should regard us. And I think he's talking about Paul and Apollos and Cephas or Peter, etc. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. See, everything you have, you are meant to steward for his sake, to build his kingdom, because his kingdom will not fail. His kingdom will not fall. His kingdom will not go up in flames. His kingdom will last. And so he's given you time, talent, and treasure, just to make it very simple to remember, to steward on his behalf. And here's what I found in, in the Christian life is that it, when you think about the whole of your life, you have time, talents, skills and abilities, treasures, resources, things that God has given you to use for his sake. Oftentimes, we are really good at giving God one, maybe two, but rarely all three. That we say, God, I'll, I'll write the check, but don't make me go. God, uh, you know, I'll show up on Sundays, but, but don't ask me to be a witness for you with the talents that you've given me in my workplace. Like, like let, me just, let me just be Jesus freak on Sunday. I don't wanna be at the, we're, we're really good at giving Jesus one of those, time, talent, or treasure, maybe two. But the struggle is will we give him all three, the whole of our lives, for building the sake of his kingdom? Folks, I struggle with that too, but if we all did that, I'm telling you, Texas would be taken by storm. It'd be un. We did the series called The Movement. It would be an unstoppable movement that I want to be a part of. I want to see. And I want to see it in and through all of us and our church. Second, make God's word your foundation for fellowship with one another, which means applying it to yourself first. God's word is the foundation for our fellowship. It's not anybody's opinion, it's not anybody's theory. This is the foundation for our fellowship. We hold each other accountable to what scripture says. If you, if you look back at it, and, and just by the way, how do you know what is precious to God's heart if you're storing up treasures in heaven if you don't read his word? This is where he pours out his heart to you. You won't know what's precious to his heart if you don't know his word. But if you look at verse six, he says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. 
Paul is talking about the word of God, the gospel, the foundation being Christ crucified, buried, and risen as the foundation for their fellowship. And what I love about this is he applied it to himself first. The word, he, he wasn't, nothing was beneath him. And he was saying, you can hold me accountable to this. Will this be the foundation for our fellowship? I got a great text from a, a brother who comes here to uh, the Fort Worth campus at the nine o'clock service. And he was going to go and confront a brother who was in sin. And he was like, would you pray for me? I'm like, amen. Yes, I will. Let the word of God be the foundation. And you're like, Cody, is that, what, is that what's gonna happen in, in our church? That we're gonna start confronting people uh, in their sin? Yeah. I mean, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Why do I not hear very much affirmation? I, I don't know. I, if we don't, who will? I mean, I, I, I don't want to do it this, uh, just for the sake of your reputation, although your reputation matters, but isn't the reputation of Christ on the line? Like, <laughs> there, there's, there's so much at stake. We, we're, we're not playing games here, folks. Your life matters. And we need each other to, to edify one another and to hold each other accountable to Scripture and to point out blind spots. And not just to point it out, but to apply Scripture to ourselves and to also support one another to say, but I'm also here to pray for you and to hold you accountable and to help you because I know the man or woman of God that God has created you to be. And it's unbelievable. And I'm here for you. Not to bash somebody and then ditch them. But to let this be the foundation and to take their hand and say, come on, let's go. And then finally, stop building a facade and surrender to God's spirit who wants to build Christ's character in you. And I'm just gonna be very pointed uh, at, this, uh, at this point in the, no, no pun intended, point of the sermon Some of you do not have the foundation of Christ in your life. And you have a facade. It's a house of cards. And it's going to burn up real fast. And it's going to fall apart. And you can fool me, but you can't fool Jesus. You might even be able to fool your small group. You might be able to fool the people in your workplace, maybe even your spouse or kids. But let me tell you, those eyes of fire are gonna come and that facade is gonna fall. Your hope needs to be built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And if it's a facade saying all the right things, going to all the right places, doing the right things, showing up at the right place, all, all great things. But if they're done with no motive, no heart for the Lord, no changed heart, no transformation, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It, it, it doesn't matter if you fool everybody here for your entire life. Your eternity rests on it. If you look at chapter four, verses 19 and 20, 
Paul tells the Corinthians this, but I can only imagine Jesus saying this to us. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. You can talk the talk all you want. It's about walking the walk. You see, the power of the Spirit of God transforms and changes our lives. It makes us different people. It changes your affections. It changes your interests. It changes you from the inside out. And if all you have is the outside and the in is decaying, the inside is decaying, then you are what Jesus talked about with the Pharisees as whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but there's only death on the inside. And I don't tell you that to condemn you that. I tell you that because I want something better for you, and so does Jesus. He wants you to give your heart to him. Will you place your trust in Jesus Christ today, making him your firm foundation, surrendering to his work, because he wants to build Christ in you, inside, from the inside out. Because a life that is transformed by the power of God will withstand the flames. That, that life is fireproof. And that's the life that he wants to build inside of you. See, there's a lot at stake. Eternity is at stake. And everything matters. God, I thank you for your word that uh, when we are faithful to it, you tell us that all the time, it doesn't just make us feel good, but it admonishes us to live lives worthy of the gospel, to live, to live lives that, that will last for eternity, that will build a, a, an unshakable church that you are the head of. And so, Lord, that's what we want. We don't wanna play games. We don't wanna build facades. We don't wanna just say the right words. We want it to be true, we want it to be authentic, we want it to be real. Lord Jesus, would you do something real in our lives? Would you do something real in our fellowship? Lord, would you break down the facades, take away the mask, and change us from the inside out? And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.